alert. If you are hearing this warning the bay doors are sealed. The experiments are loose. And it is too late to escape. Don't be afraid of me. Welcome nerd to the 145th voyage of the Amazing Nerd Show. And welcome to Horror Month. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, Christian, we are in the middle of Horror Month. Uh, last week, we counted down our favorite ghost films of all time. And I was thinking about this, man. Do you have any good, like, ghost stories yourself? I wouldn't say I have anything, like, too concrete as ghost stories. Like, you know, my mind plays tricks on me. There's shit in the corners every once in a while. <laughs> I, I, I'm hoping that they're not, like, real spirits or anything like that. But, uh... <laughs> what does that mean? There's shit in the corners all the time. What is... you, you know, there's just stuff in the corner of my eye. I, I don't know if it's real, it's fake, whatever, man. I'm not judging it. It's, we live in harmony. Uh... <laughs> you just walk away, turn the other cheek. Exactly. All right, man, good for you. I'd be out the fucking room. <laughs> uh, I mean, there was a time when I was a kid where I didn't, like, understand, like, if you rub your eyes while you're asleep and stuff like that, and you wake up, you're going to have dots appear. Um, and I definitely thought I was seeing just floating orbs all over the fucking place once when I was at my cousin's house. And I just woke up in a house that I've, like, never really been, I haven't been to too many times. Uh -huh. So it was a big house, and I'm just seeing all these things just floating out of nowhere and i mean it was probably like 4 a.m and i just randomly woke up so i mean i'm, I'm hoping that that was just my eyes playing tricks on me but you never know <laughs> how old were you <laughs> i was probably like four or five at the time okay i thought you were gonna say like last year or something no no <laughs> <laughs> i haven't had any real like ghost experiences i guess um mm. when i was in high school uh i woke up a couple times i think my senior year um, is really when I started experiencing it, but I would wake up and I could not move. Like I, my whole like body was like pins and needles oh, and I was frozen. So I of course was totally freaked out by this. And you know, my dad is this like old school middle Eastern guy. So I mentioned it to him and he was like, Oh, that happens to me all the time. You know, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, you know, but he's the kind of guy who, you know, you break your leg and he tells you to like rub some dirt on it. You know, <laughs> so I don't know why that was enough for me to be like, OK, whatever. Uh, I'm not having a stroke, dad. <laughs> That's cool. Um, but years later, it started happening to me again. So I started to get concerned. And I talked to my doctor about it because I was getting to the point where. I was literally like seeing things from my dreams, like afterwards, like I'd okay. open up my eyes and like, you know, there'd be something from my dream in the room with me. I mean, I'd rub my eyes kind of like your orbs and they would be gone, though. So I was like, OK, well, maybe this happens to everyone. I don't know. Um, but like, luckily, like I Googled it and like, uh. I, that's when I found out about sleep paralysis because there was a good like uh. month where I thought I was losing my fucking mind. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, cause I would, I would like, it would literally feel like someone would either be like, you know, whispering to me while I was like frozen or, you know, I would feel like someone was like breathing on me. <laughs> My wife would wake up to me like moaning, like as I was frozen, like trying to like, you know, get her attention and she'd like, you know, have to shake me awake. So it was pretty terrifying for a while. <laughs> it still happens, you know, but my doctor was like, Hey man, it's really just drinking tons of diet coke before you go to sleep because i drink a lot of diet coke as you know um, uh -huh. you know a shitty fucking <laughs> diet and not sleeping so you know whenever i have a week like that i know it's pretty much going to happen and i can actually tell it's going to happen as i fall asleep half the time so i like i'll get the sensation beforehand and i know it's going to just be a really long night um, you know, and as long as there isn't anything too terrifying standing in front of me when I wake up, I'm usually okay. But there's definitely some of those nights where it's like, what the fuck did I just see? Because <laughs> I've got fuck I, that man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to sleep at that point. If I can feel it coming on, I'm just yeah. I, I get up. <laughs> no, it's it's pretty freaky when it does happen. But I know it's actually like a medical thing. It's not you know uh -huh. you know I'm not being haunted or possessed by anything. At least I hope not. So there was a whole like Netflix series about it um, or documentary. I think I, my wife wanted me to watch. It. I was like, fuck that. I am uh -huh. <laughs> like, I already experienced. Why do I need someone else? Like trying to scare the shit out of me about it. Cause it was all these like folk tales about it and everything. It's like, okay, I don't need to hear stories about like, you know, demons possessing me or anything like exactly. that. It's already horrible as is, you know, when it happens. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sleep paralysis sucks. I can only imagine. 
So, but anyway, let's move on. But before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing nerd show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors in nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Alright, well first up in Spider-Man 3 rumors, could Tom Hardy's Venom appear in the MCU? So, man, we've had a lot of Spider-Man 3, like, news and rumors lately. Um, this is definitely more of the latter. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of online circles and, you know, blogs and scoopers are suggesting that Tom Hardy is joining Spider-Man 3, playing, you know, obviously Venom. Um, I would definitely take this with a grain of salt. I mean, while it, you know, would make sense, I, I'm sure... You know, Sony is jonesing to do this. I mean, it's it would be huge money for them. Um, it just feels like that movie is so bloated at this point that I don't know. I don't know how they could really, you know, do much to service all these characters. So, I mean, if they do have them in there, it probably would be a glorified cameo. But it is what it is. I mean, we know for years Sony's been dying to do like a team up movie like, you know, the Sinister Six or something like that. So... We shall see. Well, Damon, there's also another rumor from Spider-Man 3 that they'll be introducing Miles Morales to the MCU through it. Yes, another rumor is that Sony Pictures and the MCU are rumored to actually have already, like, found an actor to play Miles Morales and will debut in Spider-Man 3 once again. Um, This movie must be five hours long (laughs) at this point. So, but according to MCU Cosmic, uh, Sony Pictures and Marvel Studios have already found an actor to portray the younger Spider-Man. Uh, while this rumor doesn't outright say, you know, it's going to be in the Spider-Man film, uh, you know, I think a lot of people are just assuming that. I would think that like Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness probably would make more sense. Um, but once again, I feel like that would be more of a cameo. And I don't know if I want that. I feel like Miles deserves more. Um, I don't want him to be shoehorned in there. But anyway, this is just a rumor. So like, once again, take it with a grain of salt. It just seems like rumors are just flying left and right about Spider-Man 3. But I got to imagine like a lot of this is probably about like you said, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness rather than Spider-Man. Because I I can't imagine, you know, the MCU throwing all this into the fucking one Spider-Man film. Because that's exactly what has been the downfall of every Spider-Man series so far. It's just them throwing way too much into one film. That's true. That's absolutely true. (laughs) So um, we do have, there's that whole story about Jimmy Kimmel, like somehow, Mm -hmm. like, I don't know if he's making an announcement or something. You know, he jokingly put out that he's playing Craven, the, you know, the hunter. But, you know, that's obviously BS. But, um, you know, people are speculating whether or not, you know, he'll be making some kind of either casting announcement or maybe the even the announcement of the title um, soon. So we'll see how that plays out. But, yeah, it, it definitely feels like MCU is like they're pumping out that like, you know, Spider-Man three news right now, <laughs> just trying to probably stir up interest since they don't have much else going on. Since God knows when mm. we're going to get like Black Widow or what, whatever in the theaters. <laughs> um, so but I, I trust Foggy not to do that. But if anyone can handle, like, multiple characters in a movie, I mean, we've seen him do it with Civil War and, of course, you know, Infinity and, you know, Endgames. But I don't, I don't, I just want kind of a smaller scale Spider-Man movie, which I'm totally, well, I'm totally not going to get. So mm. I don't, I'm not going to hold my breath. <laughs> well, especially when, you know, you have Craven the Hunter as the main villain. You would want probably more of an intimate villain hero story going and on, you know? Honestly, like, I totally forgot about the whole Craven thing. You know, <laughs> uh-huh, after all these. Yeah, because that was the big rumor a couple months ago that Craven mm. was going to be in this film. And then they were actually going to do a Craven solo film yes. after that. So, my God, you're right. That is a lot of characters to be dealing with. And then you have already the built in storyline of Peter being on the run. Uh, you know, and then, of course, you know, people are talking about how with Doctor Strange involved, you know, could you be gaining a case of what we got with like Civil War? Is Doctor Strange the one who's going to put the rabbit back into the hat, so to speak? Because in Civil War, Peter reveals his identity to the public and then shit goes wrong. And then it takes a couple, I think, 
a couple arcs later where you know dr strange goes ahead and undoes like everything basically uh so you think that could be his cameo he just fixes everything at the end i don't know at this point (laughs) i don't know how much screen time any of these characters are gonna get Uh uh-huh we'll see all right well up next hbo max series focusing on the green lantern Corps reveals more details so we know the core is coming to the HBO Max streaming service. Um, and this past Friday, they revealed some more details about the upcoming series, uh, which they have ordered 10 episodes, apparently. Uh, but yeah, so basically, the Green Lantern will explore the history of different heroes who have joined the core, with executive producer Greg Belanti teaming up with showrunner Seth Graham Smith to tell the stories of heroes like Alan Scott, Guy Gardner, Jessica Cruz, and Simon Baz. Um, and they did mention uh, Sinestro also. So um, there's no word whether or not uh, this will be part of the Zack Snyder Justice League continuity or just something onto itself. But we know that they're not ever afraid to like really blur those lines. So uh, Graham Smith, the showrunner, is best known for being the author of the novel uh, Abraham Lincoln, the Vampire Hunter and Pride and Prejudice in Zombies. Uh, he also worked on the Lego Batman movie, which is just awesome. Uh, Child's Play and It and It Chapter 2. Uh, so he'll be working with established Arrowverse um, guru uh, Berlanti and, you know, he'll be helping to chart the course for the new series. So curiously enough, they did not mention Jon Stewart or Hell Jordan. Um, so I don't know what that means, but. I'm guessing, and this is just speculation, uh, that maybe they're holding them off for like a feature film. No, that's absolutely what I'm thinking. Like they'd probably save it for the big screen at this point if they're going to have them show up. All right, up next, we got some casting news for Mad Max spinoff Furiosa. All right, so Furiosa is officially in advanced development at Warner Brothers. Uh, Mad Max creator George Miller is returning as co-writer and director, and it looks like Anna Taylor-Joy will star as the film's title character. Um, They've also... um, are casting Chris Hemsworth and Yaha Abdul Mantin. So, I mean, that's quite a cast. <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, the film has not received an official green light at this point, but it definitely feels like it's on track to do so. Uh, Miller has previously stated that he hopes to shoot Furiosa, you know, the prequel, uh, around 2021. So, but we'll see if that happens right now with everything going on. So recently, uh, Charlize Theron has expressed disappointment that she can't return as, you know, the character. But uh, Miller has gone on record stating that it's more to do with, like, the CGI DAG not being exactly where it needs to be. Uh, So, you know, while it sounds like he would love for her to come back, it just doesn't seem like it's doable at this point. Has he seen any of the Avengers films? Because, I mean, that de-aging <laughs> tech is fucking there. At this no, place. I agree. I was thinking the same thing. I mean, what they did with, like, Michael Douglas and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer in Ant-Man 2. I mean, really? But I guess he doesn't have Disney money behind him. It's just Warner Brothers money. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but who knows? I mean, after, like, Mad Max, I mean, Fury Road, I mean, that production just sounds like a huge fucking headache i mean it was an amazing movie don't get me wrong but maybe Uh, he just doesn't want to deal with you know any of the fucking you know you know maintenance that you know comes along with you know shooting like that well i can't imagine like a cg artist having to put all of that on that type of motion going on at uh, like nonstop. Uh-huh. I mean, you're figuring it'd be the entire film. So I don't know. Exactly. I don't know how taxing that would be on a production, you know? Um, and I mean, you're also talking years later though, like after Ant-Man two. Uh-huh. So it's probably even better now. So what the fuck do we uh-huh. know? <laughs> I'm sure I could do it like on an app on my phone now at this point. So I'm I'm waiting for them to like spend the money on Michelle Pfeiffer and and Michael Keaton so they can make a third film with Tim Burton at this point. You know, <laughs> I'd be in for that. All right, and finally, Dexter is returning to Showtime along with Michael C. Hall. All right, so it looks like Dexter's back. Uh, Showtime has ordered a ten-episode uh, ninth season. 
Michael C. Hall is returning uh, back in the saddle again, I guess, as he reprises the role. Uh, Original series showrunner, uh, executive producer Clyde Phillips is also back. So um, the revival is slated to start production in the winter. And, you know, Showtime is looking to launch it uh, fall 2021. So this is kind of out of nowhere. I love the first, like, three or four seasons of Dexter. Um, I think it was somewhere after the Lithgow season that it kind of, like, jumped the shark for me. Uh, You know, it just, I don't know, it got weird. There was a whole storyline with his sister um, that just was too much for my liking. So I hope they just kind of retcon that and, you know, maybe act like it was a bad dream. Because I think the last time we saw him, he was, like, in hiding in a fucking lumberjack or something. But, yeah, anyway, yeah, retcon that shit. I'll be happy that Dexter's back it was a great show yeah i kind of watched it on and off uh my mom was super into the show but like like you said like i saw it that shit got very weird and different by the end of the series (laughs) so i mean would this bring you back to showtime in general would you be interested in subscribing to Showtime? oh god (laughs) (laughs) i've got so many like streaming services and shit right now Uh uh-huh probably i'm not gonna lie but it'll be one of those things where i just like cancel it right afterwards (laughs) because what's on showtime right now is there anything that i can't i can't think of anything that like any series that's huge on showtime right now oh my god i mean you know they'll follow it up with something though just to hook you so you Uh know dexter will just be the lead into whatever they're trying to like really sell you but yeah no i'll probably end up picking it up just to watch it because i i was a huge fan of those first like four seasons so all right, Damon, it's time to bring on the horror. We're talking remakes this week in our top 10 countdown. Now, Damon, why in the hell did we pick horror movie remakes? Well, Christian, let me tell you why. So in horror, remake is a dirty word. It's associated a lot of times with an unimaginative cash grab from lazy studio execs trying to capitalize on previous successes. And while nine out of 10 times this is true, we're here to talk about the films that overcome that. Because like sequels, remakes are a big part of the genre's legacy. You don't have to look further than the classic Hammer monster films to really see that. Um, They took those iconic characters, and instead of trying to unravel and stay true to a continuity that had become so watered down that it really just stopped making sense, they decided to just put a fresh coat of paint on for a new generation to discover the greatness of those characters and story. And that's not a bad thing. Um, here's the thing, you know, when someone remakes a film, it's not like the original ceases to exist. It's all about bringing something new and creative to the table, but at the same time honoring the original's essence. It's definitely a bit of a balancing act, but it can be done. And if that remake sucks, you know what? It just reinforces the greatness of the original film and hopefully leads a new group of people to discover it. But we're not here for the suck. We're here to talk about remakes that stand against the norm and succeed as their own awesome films. Um, And in some cases on this list, but definitely not all, sometimes they even improve on the original. So anyway, quick audible mentions to some films that almost made the cut, pun intended. Um, The Grudge, Maniac, My Bloody Valentine 3D, Piranha 3D, House on Haunted Hill, and Tom Savini's Night of the Living Dead. Oh, and don't forget the remake of Invisible Man that that came out this year. Um, All very deserving. We just ran out of slots. So without further ado, let's get into the countdown. And now the top 10 horror movie remakes. Number 10. 2003 The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Turd. You're so dead you don't even know it. Come on, boy! Bring it! Bring it? Bring what? Bring it! film is a little too glossy and polished for my liking, it is definitely a solid entry into the franchise and better than many of the previous sequels. It really introduces a new generation to Leatherface and I enjoyed this like more vicious version of the character. And let me tell you, Arlie Ermey like as Sheriff Hoyt 
almost steals the show here. I mean, he's just a fucking monster and one of my favorite Leatherface family members of all time. I mean, him alone is worth like checking out this film. The one pitfall though is because of all of its success, it's partially responsible for the horror remake boom of the early 2000s, but that's neither here nor there. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is definitely deserving to be on our list. Number 9. 2013 The Evil Dead. You're gonna die here, you pathetic junkie! For starters, no. This film does not hold a torch to the charm of the original. But can you still have a ton of fun watching this reimagining of a horror classic? Absolutely. It took a classic tale of five folks in a cabin getting brutally torn apart by a demon and brought in modern film techniques and effects without overly CGIing it. It kept to its excessively gory roots and disturbing action without falling into any of the torture horror flick tropes we've seen lately from films like Saw. Um, Jane Levy was awesome as our female version of Ash, and I, to this day, still wish there had been that Ash versus Ash film with her and Bruce Campbell that was rumored years ago. But I digress. This is definitely a fun film to watch, and you should definitely check it out. Number 8. 2006 The Hills Have Eyes. So the story goes, after Wes Craven watched French director Alexander Asia's breakout film High Tension, he approached him about remaking his cult classic film The Hills Have Eyes. And man, I'm glad he did because I love this movie. Um, Asia just brought his brutal sense of violence and style to, you know, his version of the film. And while I respect the original, I feel like it's the blend of Asia and Craven's sensibilities that make this almost a superior film and i know this is blasphemy to like some but come fight me i said it definitely if you've not seen this movie check it out because alexander asia is definitely one of the more underrated horror film directors in recent memory number seven 2002 the ring you helped her yeah why did you do that What's wrong, honey? You weren't supposed to help her. It's okay now. She's not gonna hurt you. She... Don't you understand, Rachel? Director Gore Verbinski's remake of The Ring brought the disturbing visuals and unsettlingly dark tone of the original to American audiences. I remember seeing this film at a young age and truly being unnerved by its imagery. And watching it now, I can you know go back and I can appreciate the cinematography used to create this dark feature. Um, from making color choices that match the infamous tape to the world around them, to the subtle like sound uses from the tape as well. This film does the, its best to scare you in a different way than most American horror flicks, and was one of the big draws to checking out the original and other J-horror flicks in general. While I do recommend this movie, I warn that you won't leave it with a smile on your face. It is truly a depressing, dark tale um, through horror. Number 6. 1991. Cape Fear. Let's get something straight here. I spent 14 years in an 8 by 9 setting surrounded by people who were less than human. My mission in that time was to become more than human. You see? Granddaddy used to handle snakes in church. Granny drank strychnine. I guess you could say I had a leg up, but genetic was bacon. When an attorney played by Nick Nolte knowingly withholds evidence that would acquit the guilty Max Cady, uh, played by Robert De Niro, of rape charges, Max spends 
14 years in prison, turning himself into the living embodiment of vengeance, body and mind. This is a role I feel like of De Niro's that just kind of gets lost into the shuffle sometimes because it's just phenomenal. Um, he's a force of nature in this film and just as frightening as like any supernatural boogeyman. You know, and that's all because Martin Scorsese sets out to, you know, show us the scariest monsters are the real ones. And while I love the original film, I feel like Scorsese really adds so much needed depth to the stories and characters. Um, he really makes it more of a morality play than just like a story of vengeance. You know, and it, this cast is rounded out by like the wonderful Jessica Lange and Juliette Lewis, and they give performances that just let you experience like the horror of being stalked firsthand, you know, by this madman. Um, you know, revisit this film or watch it for the first time because its greatness really should be celebrated more. Number five, 2017 it, chapter one. But Bill, if you don't come with me, You'll float too. <laughs> You'll float too. 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 Clowns are terrifying. Let me say that again. Clowns are fucking terrifying and if you needed an example of why the remake of stephen king's classic it should suffice it chapter one brought the horrors of pennywise back into the forefront and reminded us all just how scared of clowns we can be the film held no punches as it attacked children at will i mean a, a kid gets his fucking arm ripped off in full bloody view within the first five minutes all bets are off once you see a kid get hurt in a film. But most importantly, Pennywise the Dancing Clown attacked their fears. Muschietti and company did a fantastic job focusing on each character's fears, which easily made the kids relatable and put the viewer in their shoes. The cast chemistry as well made them all super likable and enjoyable to watch. And of course, Bill Skarsgård's portrayal of the evil clown was disturbing as all hell and super well handled. After all, he had to contend with Tim Curry, so he better have brought his A-game. Focusing on fear and not much else through choices in the writer's room and editing floor kept the film straightforward and horrifyingly fun. And unfortunately, its sequel very much like the original sequel went off the rails with a convoluted story and poor use of special effects. However, this does not dampen my opinion on chapter one and easily makes it worth my top five. Number 4. 1978. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. What is this supposed to do? Just a mild sedative to help you sleep. I hate you. We don't hate you. There's no need for hate now. Or love. I love you, Matthew. There are people that will fight you, David. They'll stop you. In an hour, you won't want them to. Director Philip Kaufman takes the 1950s paranoia sci-fi thriller about communism and reinterprets it for a 70s generation obsessed with self-exploration and individualism. And by doing this, he adds this new layer to the classic story. Um, and he's able to update the original premise for a new decade, making the themes feel more timely. I mean, that's what a good remake should do. Alien spores have fallen to Earth and they start to replace humans with soulless copies while they sleep. Once family and friends start to suspect their loved ones aren't who they seem to be, um, hysteria ensues. There's just a real sense of dread and hopelessness that hangs over this film that I just love as the characters like struggle to uncover and accept what's happening to their world. I mean, anchored by a talented ensemble cast starring Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams, Jeff Goldblum, Leonard Nimoy, and Veronica Cartwright. I mean, they just managed to tap into something primal and desperate. If you can't trust those who are closest to you, who can you trust? I mean, the film is just so gritty that it makes it feel more real. There's no cure being like developed in a lab somewhere or like 
big firefight at the end of the film that saves the day, their only real chance of a really small victory is warning enough people before it's too late. The special effects, which are like subtle and effective, um, really add a sense to, of like realism to everything. They give you just enough to unnerve you. And Leonard Nimoy gives one of many memorable performances in this film um, as the self-help guru turned pod person. <laughs> he gives this chilling sales pitch about the benefits of conformity and the harmfulness of human emotion. I mean, this fresh take on the original themes plays like as a social commentary on modern psychology that was like so prevalent at the time. But you know, even more so memorable for me at least is the blood curling finale of the film. It's the kind of ending that you remember where you were and what you were doing when you first saw it. It's just iconic. And one of the reasons why this remake is now considered a classic, you know, in its own right. Number three, 2004 Dawn of the Dead. Somebody should say something. There's nothing to say. I've been to a lot of funerals. I've folded the flag and given it to a lot of wives and fathers and kids. I told them how sorry I was. But that's not what I was really feeling. In the back of my mind, I was always saying, better them than me. But I don't believe that now. Because now I realize that there are some things worse than death, and one of them is sitting here waiting to die. Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead is a Zack Snyder take on a zombie classic. That should say it all right there, to be honest. But to elaborate, this is a zombie flick turned up to 11 with all those Snyderisms I usually don't enjoy. Yet, I love this movie. It's action-packed. It's a popcorn flick. And while it may not have the 200 explosions of a Michael Bay production, it sure has that pace. And luckily for me, it came out during probably the height of my unmedicated ADHD. And yet, with all that said, I had and still have a great time with this film. Snyder sets up his version of Dawn of the Dead with a truly great opening as well. As we watch a character go about her day as the world starts to fall apart, her first interactions with the dead hook you into the story, and then from there the film shoots off like a rocket. And while I don't find this band of misfits trapped in, the, <laughs> trapped in a mall even the slightest endearing, they are fun to watch. The cinematography is that of most action flicks, except Snyder at times takes a moment to build tension and atmosphere here and there. Uh, this film is chock full of memorable moments and lines you'll bring up with your friends for a lifetime, you know, like a zombie baby birth scene. <laughs> you'll sit down and have a great time with this film as it could even give the dead a jolt of adrenaline. Number two, 1986, The Fly. I don't know what you're trying to say. I'm saying. I'm saying I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it. But now the dream is over and the insect is awake. No, sir. I'm saying I'll hurt you this day. The Fly is the perfect example when it's justified taking the original source material, in this case the campy 1950s classic film by the same name, and conceiving your own novel take that warrants exploration. And that's exactly what genius Maverick director David Cronenberg did with his version of The Fly. The brilliant scientist Seth Brundle, played by the charismatic Jeff Goldblum, creates his own teleportation machine. After a drunken, ill-conceived test run, Brundle soon finds out a castaway fly tagged along for a ride, and now their DNA is slowly fusing. For the rest of the film, we witness Brundle's descent into madness as his body goes through this brutal metamorphosis. Done with unforgettable special effects and a tremendous 
tremendously terrifying and sympathetic performance by Goldblum as he channels his inner Karloff. Um, you know, we get to watch him become a monster. Um, this film is just filled with scenes and sights that will scar your psyche. Two words, maggot birth. That's all I really have to say. I mean, Cronenberg takes his affinity for body horror and crafts a heartbreaking love story as we also watch the amazing Gina Davis cope with her lover's transformation. This film feels like an analogy for the nightmare of losing a loved one to disease. And just like that, Cronenberg takes the absurd premise of a man turning into a fly and delivers us one of the most horrifying tales of tragic love ever made. And now TH number one remake, 1982, The Thing. I know you gentlemen have been through a lot, but when you find the time, I'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking couch! John Carpenter's The Thing is a masterpiece. I will argue it's not only one of the greatest remakes, but bar none, one of the greatest horror films ever made. Carpenter takes the idea behind the 1951 classic film The Thing from Another World and amps it up. A group of American research scientists at their base camp in Antarctica comes across a helicopter pilot who's seemingly hunting a sled dog. When they take the sled dog in, they find out the dog is an alien parasite life form that can assume the shape of its victims. What happens next for the rest of the film is pure tension and suspense. Carpenter taking inspiration, of course, from Lovecraft, gives us strong themes of paranoia and mistrust and the fear of being stripped from one's humanity. All these themes are palpable and the Antarctic environment acts as an icy prison um, that sets the somber tone of isolation that is just devoid of any optimism and hope. Um, and while I usually am preaching on this podcast, less is more, this is the rare occasion where more is more. Um, we get to witness firsthand the horrors of being assimilated by this alien life form in some of the greatest practical effects in film history by Rob Bodden. Uh, a lot of times you hear preached when left to your own imagination, a scene can be scarier than anything they can actually show you on film. And while I usually agree with that, fuck it. I mean, <laughs> that's not the case here because I don't think in a hundred lifetimes I could ever come up with the visuals as gruesome and visceral as what we got with the thing. But what makes the thing different from other horror films with great special effects is how Carpenter uses them to really build and craft even more suspenseful scenes because you're on the edge of your seat not knowing what you're going to see next. A prime example of this is the blood test scene. I think this part of the film is one of the greatest crafted moments of suspense in cinema history. Um, it's both grueling and exhilarating to watch and is Carpenter at his best. But once again, I mean, like The Shining, the thing which opened opposite of E.T. of all movies was critically panned and wasn't really recognized for its sheer greatness till it hit cable TV and home video years later. I mean, that just goes to show critics ain't shit because this film holds up for me and is easily like that. Oh, it's on TV. We're watching it kind of film. Um, this by far is still my favorite Kurt Russell film as his character McCready is fucking awesome. Who doesn't want to be the guy holding the flamethrower? <laughs> but the monstrous thing, uh, I mean, in my opinion, should have captivated audiences at release. I can't fathom how those effects didn't leave audiences saying, I've got to see that again, though perhaps they were just too terrifying. But I digress. The creativity and love put into this makes the thing stand out far beyond other films that call themselves a remake. To its, um, to its memorable sounds and disgustingly brilliant visuals, it leaves a lasting impression that made it unquestionably our number one pick. But funny enough, I'd also like to see what a modern remake of this classic would look like. But only time will tell. Did our countdown leave a lasting impression with you? Let us know in the comments below or tell us movies that you think should have been on our list. Alright, let's move on. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it's that time again. It's time for Christian's Corner. Yeah! 
right, so today I'm going to be talking what you know my kind of initial impressions of what we got from Night City Wire Episode Four. But before that, I wanted to talk about what I've seen from the Xbox and PlayStation so far. All right, guys. Over the last like seven days since the last time I put out a Christian's Corner, you know the um, Xbox has been showing off um, their UI. Um, PlayStation showed off their UI. So I'm just kind of been getting in, you know, a grasp of what the new systems are going to look like, system-wise and stuff like that. When you actually turn it on, and I think both look pretty good. Um, my general opinion so far, I've actually surprisingly, and it's the console that I'm not going to be getting either way. I've actually liked the Xbox UIs um, way better. Um, I don't know. There's something about um, the way it's all um, laid out. The um, the soft edges got me a little bit there. <laughs> uh, nerding out over the corners on a fucking UI. Whatever. Um, the resume play. Everything that they showed off. Even with PlayStation doing their own like kind of just... Because I've, from what I've seen from Xbox, has been mostly from content creators who who have actually gotten to check out the console, turn it on, and show people. Um, you know, PlayStation did an actual like uh, Sony event for it, and had a guy walk you through it and stuff like that. And I wasn't too impressed from what I saw. Um, you know, the the look itself um, does not feel better than the PlayStation Four so far. So may I mean, and maybe my my idea will change over time, but you know, it felt it looked a lot to me, kind of like how the PlayStation Three looked, and it just I don't know. There, I didn't really like that UI whatsoever. Um, the the resume play on the Xbox looks fucking fantastic. Um, the load times for everything has has been impressive so far. So. I'm happy with that. Um, I did watch a couple videos of people testing the Xbox versus like PCs and um, the old Xbox, and it, it is amazing to think how long we have been waiting um, for loading in games in general, um, and seeing that improvement finally be made is is a godsend, to be honest. And those load times are definitely going to be very important for this behemoth of a game that's coming out. In literally pretty much a month at this point, because by the time you listen to this, is most likely going to be 30 days from now. Um, Cyberpunk 2077 had another Night City Wire episode come out, and like I predicted during my actual live reactions, which you can check out on my Twitch right now, um, it, it was definitely less content than what we got before. I mean, that's you know that should be expected. Uh, what they did show off was you know like kind of like the car mechanics and stuff that they've been working on for cars and how that should feel mostly how it should sound is what they what they showed off there um they showed off a little bit of like character customizations type stuff with clothing and different styles you can wear i was definitely more into the kish and neo kish styles that they showed off uh, but i mean I'm, I'm probably gonna play around with everything that i possibly can um you know i'm definitely going to be doing three different playthroughs of the game so you know <laughs> we're gonna be testing out a ton of shit but <laughs> but um that being said uh you know it wasn't as much as we got before that's because the game is pretty much right around the corner um even the little like surprise trailer they did at the end felt very lackluster for me uh you know it was a random cg trailer that they had put together um that didn't really show off anything it was like something it was like a 30 second trailer that the I don't know, it felt unnecessary. Uh, they did show off the cosplay contest beforehand. I watched that. Um, uh, the person that was dressed as Lizzie Wizzy should have won. That's my opinion, but fuck it, who cares? Uh, <laughs> so I'm still excited for the game. Um, it was it was fun to see like uh, Keanu like freaking out over motorcycle sounds and stuff like that. You could tell he's super into that. Um, you know, there's definitely they definitely showed off a ton of love for what they're doing. Why like showing like how many like how many things that they're doing to make the cars sound as authentic and feel as authentic as possible. Cause I remember those first, you know, gameplay videos when they showed the cars, it felt very stiff. And I don't know if that was just the person I was driving it or what at the time it felt like really fucking stiff. Like, like they didn't work too hard on actually making the cars feel realistic at all. And then over time you started hearing reports where it's like, oh, they're trying to be more like Forza with the cars and stuff like that. And that got me excited. And then actually getting to see this trailer show off all the um, car mechanics in a way um, and all the different styles of cars and really show that in motion um, really showed that they have put a lot more love towards actual vehicles in this. 
I do believe um, there were reports that there aren't going to be any ways to really customize the cars yourself. You can just buy them preset and stuff like that or steal them, of course, um, the ones that you see as you go around. Um, that's fine. I do think it'll be a great mechanic to add to the game later on or if they want to make a deeper dive version of like cars and customizing cars like on that level. Um, I definitely think that's something that they should add later on to the game. Even if it's a DLC, I'd fucking buy it. Uh, I'm super into customization and stuff like that. So I was I was definitely disappointed not to hear that element. But, I mean, the amount of stuff that you are getting in this game, I feel like makes up for it either fucking way. But, I mean, only time will tell until I actually get the game in my hands and I'm able to tell you, you know, if that is worth it without having it so i mean you let me know but you know when i when i think about playing my first run and i want to do um the the run where you start outside the city and that character is supposed to be you know someone who builds and works you know pretty much on their on their own the the fact that they can't work on their car and stuff like that i don't know why that that bothers me just a just a tad bit but you know I'll, I'll move on right <laughs> but anyways uh, I mean those were my initial thoughts on uh, the Night Study Wire episode 4 um, this weekend I am continuing on with Vampire and moving on with more Outer Worlds um, I think we're pretty much almost done uh, at this point with Ghost of Tsushima like I, I, I'm pretty sure I have like very small side missions to do that aren't like story based or anything like that it's just like if you want to do these they're very optional um, so I mean I might even just finish it who knows <laughs> I don't want to obviously but I might just fucking do it and then um, I did do some Star Wars on Thursday and I might do some more but I I did get pretty defeated in my last Star Wars <laughs> playthrough so I mean we'll see what happens there uh, but definitely tune in on Saturday and Sunday for see me live um, that's at amazing nerd show and or at amazing nerd live and then you can find the amazing nerd show on twitch and youtube definitely check out our youtube content where I take the streams I edit them down I I add some things here and there every once in a while to little gags so definitely check out the actual episodes I put on there in case you aren't able to watch my streams all right let's move on all right Christian we both finished season two of the boys so let's review it Listen, this is a fucking mess. We're the most wanted lads in the country. We got soup terrorists. And we got no superheroes. Hi! I'm Stormfront. Who? I'm the new girl. Wonderful. A group of vigilantes sets out to take down corrupt superheroes who abuse their superpowers. This was created by Eric Kripke. So season two of The Boys has ended, and I thought for the most part it was another fantastic season. Maybe not as good as the first season, but still really well done. Um, this subversive deconstruction of the superhero genre once again holds a mirror up to where we're at as a society right now, tapping into things like the power of social media and how corporations use like panic and fear to manipulate us to their own ends. The Boys as a series really plays as the perfect mix between George Orwell meets Stan Lee. Uh, while these are definitely not themes new to the comic book genre, at least in print, it's still refreshing to see them on the, the screen in such an entertaining fashion. Uh, late spoilers ahead, I'm not going to get into like tons of detail, but if you have not seen season 2, I would use the timestamps to skip ahead and come back once you actually have. So anyway, let's get into it. The boys are on the run from the law, hunted by Seven and trying to figure out what their next move is. Uh, the Butcher, played by Carl Urban, is doing some soul searching, trying to recover after the events of the end of the first season. Meanwhile, there's a power struggle brewing between Homelander and Vought as they introduce a new member, Stormfront, to the team, who we soon discover has her own motives and has an incredibly sordid past, to say the least. Uh, just as outrageous and over the top as the first season, I think fans will not be disappointed. Uh, but the one aspect of the new season that I really did enjoy was the amount of growth we saw in a lot of the main characters' arcs. For the most part, none of the main players left the season the way they started off. 
And I think this is really important for a series, you know, to keep you invested. For like the character, the butcher, it's all about him trying to overcome his obsessive hatred uh, to do the right thing by the person he loves. They give a much needed inside look to what makes the character really tick. When it comes to Huey, who is now in the thick of things, he has to overcome his codependency and find his own resolve just to keep it together. And then there's Homelander, the psychopath narcissist who starts to develop feelings for others in his own fucked up way and it really challenges him um they use ryan his son to toe the line and showing a sympathetic side to his past and why he's the monster that he is also starlight stays on a heroic path and you know she comes to terms with her mother while Maeve comes into her own as a character and gets a great holy shit moment in the season finale um, so my only real issue is they're servicing so many characters that some of our favorites are kind of reduced to just being really entertaining plot devices. I hope that with the next season, they kind of iron that out more and figure out a way to give all of our favorites at least fulfilling arcs. But it does sound like they are introducing a lot more characters next season. So I just hope that the show doesn't get too bloated for its own good. Um, speaking of new characters, Stormfront, who's like the real villain of the season, is simply amazing and i hope it's not the last we see of her because she provides a real interesting like character dynamic with homelander that i would love to see them explore further uh this season definitely does a great job playing with these like kind of parallels and while watching this season episodically i felt led to some pacing issues and unevenness they regain momentum with a fantastic like season finale that really leaves you wanting to see what comes next i mean both homelander and butcher at this point are just untethered so i can't imagine what this means for season three and without giving too much away i really think there's gonna be a war for ryan's soul at the end of the day for me, one of the biggest drawbacks was definitely the pacing for this season. I chose after the like first, you know, initial three episode release that they did um, to wait until the actual full season was bingeable. And immediately I could tell they were trying to structure the episodes for that week to week type viewing. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it felt like maybe they were a little bit lost or it felt like for me, story elements were just being picked up and let go sporadically in a way that made things feel more disjointed than what was most likely intended. And because there are so many characters they were playing with, um, stories and character motivations for me were just getting lost. Uh, my biggest example of this is I mean, without spoiling anything, of course, um, would be Frenchie this season. His storyline throughout just felt all over the place and not very well structured. Um, that being said, the dynamic of the group, all the characters, um, I mean, even with Frenchie's storyline being a little shaky for me and several others, um, you know, without saying anything, um, you know, I still love them all. You know, I loved the I love the dynamic of the group. I love the dynamic of the show as a whole. Uh, it still had me entirely hooked. And by the end of the show, I was definitely begging for more, just like Damon was. But I will say, with a few cracks I did see in the armor of the show, um, it, it does make me a little bit more concerned for season three. Uh, just with knowing that they're going to have a much larger cast, you know, I worry for those minor characters that we might not get um you know as well fleshed out stories as we did in the first season all right christian what grade are you giving this uh grade wise i'm gonna give it a solid b um i think there's little things that would have made it a little bit better for me um but at the end of the day it's still a great show and i definitely recommend it for anyone well what would you give it damon all right so i'm gonna go ahead i'm gonna give it a b plus um i really enjoyed this season and i can't wait to see what happens next but you know what needs to happen next christian what damon Carl Urban playing fucking Wolverine. <laughs> I mean, fucking fight me, Christian. I mean, that has to happen. That I has mean, to he, happen. He can't say cunt in an MCU film, though. Sure he can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, there was one thing, though, uh, that I didn't mention during my review. Uh, why why does A-Train and all of them not, like, why don't they ever change their outfits? Like, why are they always in uniform? 
I think it's probably like a, a comic book trope. I guess, but it's it's a show. We get it. They could they could wear different. Even in modern comics, they well, change clothes more often nowadays. Here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing that drove me nuts. Starlight. No one could recognize her out of yes. her uh, uniform. <laughs> but I think that's on purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, because once again, it's like Clark Kent. It's a, it's a comic book trope. You know, I think they're just playing with that. You know, I hear and it you. gives them a lot of leeway. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like at the beginning, she was at least putting up her hood and like wearing glasses and stuff. But by the end, she's just like fully oh, out there. It was killing me. I was like, <laughs> you're telling me this person who's on fucking billboards uh-huh. and like, you know, has hit singles playing on the radio. Like people aren't noticing her because she's in a ponytail. Mm-hmm. Like, th- come on. But I mean, I thought about it. And I was like, it's totally just because it's, you know exploiting one of those comic book tropes where you know that shit happens all the fucking time like batman puts on a cowl and then all of a sudden no one can recognize that he's bruce wayne Mm -hmm. you know if i put on a fucking batman cowl you would still know it was me like so i mean (laughs) give me a break you know if you put on a robin if you put on a robin costume we're gonna know it's christian and a fucking robin why why am i robin what what, why are we doing this if anyone listens to the show (laughs) christian's obviously robin i'm at least nightwing i've grown out of it you know i hate you apparently you'll be lucky not to meet the end of a fucking crowbar the way Uh you're going (laughs) well all right damon we gotta talk a little bit of wrestling this week And I shudder to think why, and I'm going to tell you why, Chris. There's a reason why when you turn on your television at Casa del Le Champion to watch some Animal Planet. I hate Animal Planet. Okay, random and very specific, but I get it. It's not under the Turner umbrella. We all get it. Okay, okay. Let's relax. All right, man. So we had a pretty big week for the squared circle. Um, WWE had their draft. Um, it was pretty, I don't know, lackluster to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of people flip sides. It's not going to matter in two weeks, whatever. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Uh, we also had the one year anniversary show for AEW Dynamite. Um, it was a pretty decent show. Lots of great title matches. Um, no real big angles happening. Uh, but I really did enjoy it. Uh, you know, so speaking of the one year anniversary, Christian, do you have a favorite moment that stands out to you? I mean, at first, I think one of my favorite things was like Adam Page's character and like all the little name cards they would do to just show his state of alcoholism at <laughs> <throughout> the beginning <laughs> of the show. It's a hell of a way to push a guy. Uh-huh. <laughs> it worked, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> It's crazy it. the amount of new talent that they were able to get over in such a short period of time mm-hmm. where WWE has, you know, I mean, this giant roster and it feels like no one, literally no one is over, you know, especially no. on the babyface side. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, that was great, though. You know, especially the way, you know, uh, everything kind of was, you know, tracking for, you know, Hangman after his title match. Um, at all out, you know, it, it kind of felt like he got lost in the shuffle for a little bit, but you know, he turned it around. So it's pretty amazing. Oh, yeah, they they've definitely built his character quite well. And I'm only you know more excited to see where he's going next. Uh, I think my favorite moment in wrestling for AEW was definitely the fucking Canadian Destroyer to the outside. It's just my favorite move, and to see something that insane happen. Who hit that? <laughs> yeah, it was Ray Phoenix on one of the Bucks to the outside. That was insane. I yes. know what you're talking about. <laughs> that was insane. I gotta, I gotta say, I think probably my favorite moment of the TV show mm-hmm. was uh, Cody getting the strap from uh, MJF. Okay. You know, the, the ten, mm-hmm. the ten, the ten lashings, if you will. I thought that was so well done, and I was so skeptical at first, like how that was going to work, and if people would want to stay tuned in for that. But it was just grueling to watch, and just fantastic drama. So I really, really like Doug that. Also, Cody uh, jumping off the cage, doing the moonsault. Yes, exactly. Uh, that ridiculous, yeah, that ridiculously <laughs> high cage, <laughs> and that was all like you know built up for the you know pay per view match with mm. MJF, which I felt like, strangely enough, I feel like the build up was better than the match itself. Yes, <laughs> which is odd Absolutely. to say. But, you know, Cody's all about the storytelling, man. That's for sure. Cody in general for AEW has Mm -hmm. been fucking fantastic. Yeah, like if you were going to have to, like, select an MVP, would it be Cody? 
I I think I'm going to have to give it to Cody. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it, for me, it's definitely Cody. Um, Cody or Moxley, because Moxley, I mean, if you think about it, he's really ca- carried the strap. I mean, hmm. or fuck it. I mean, fucking Jericho. True, yes. <laughs> yeah. But that says a lot about the show, the fact that it's hard to choose just mm-hmm. one MVP. So it's just been pretty well-rounded. I mean, they've had, you know, obviously a few missteps here and there. Um, but, I mean, they're a young company. And, I mean, Jesus Christ, it's only been a year. That's crazy. Because <laughs> it really feels like it was like a decade ago, you know, when everything was just starting. So look how far they've come. Look how much, you know, Sammy Guevara has survived. <laughs> Speaking of which, can you believe that feud's not over? <laughs> he It came out the, on this week's episode that he was the one who jumped Hardy. So they're going to do another <sighs> fucking match. That's fine. I just don't want to see anyone die. Like, that's my... <laughs> like, literally, like, someone's gotten hurt. Like, it feels like every time uh, they've, like, touched at this point. So, I don't know. We'll see. All right. Well, let's switch gears to New Japan. All right, man. So the G1 Climax marched on this past week. We are in the home stretch. Uh, Let's go ahead and get into the results and maybe make some predictions. All right. Well, we're starting up with night. All right. Well, we're starting up with night 12 for the B block. I feel like I have to sneeze, but it's not. There we go. Starting off, we had Goto defeating Yoshihashi. We had Zack Sabre Jr. defeating Yano. We had Sonata defeating Kenta. We had Naito defeating Juice Robinson. And we had Evil defeating Tanahashi. All right, and then for night 13 of the A block, we had Cobb defeating Ishii. We had Jay White defeating Takahashi. We had Osprey defeating Taichi. We had Ibushi defeating Minoru Suzuki. And we had Okada defeating Shingo. Uh, night 14 of the B Block, we had Zack Sabre Jr. defeating Yoshihashi. We had Kenta defeating Yano. We had Sonata defeating Juice Robinson. We had Goto defeating Tanahashi. And we had Evil defeating Naito. In night 15, we had Cobb defeating Will Ospreay. We had Ibushi defeating Takahashi. We had Taichi defeating Shingo. We had Jay White defeating Suzuki and Okada defeating Ishii. In uh, night 16 of the B block, we had Kenta defeating Yoshihashi. We had Zack Sabre Jr. defeating Juice Robinson. We had Naito defeating Yano. We had Evil defeating Goto. And we had Sonata defeating Tanahashi. Well, after all that, for the A block, Jay White, Ibushi, and Okada with 12 points, and Will Ospreay with 10. The remaining are not eligible anymore. <laughs> wow, okay. Well, I mean, that seems about right. I thought Shingo would do better. Me too. Um, you know, Shingo only with six points uh, was definitely disappointing. Uh, I don't think it was a shocker for Takahashi, but beyond that... Yeah, right? Um, <laughs> Zero points, the, man. Double fucking goose eggs. <laughs> I don't think we had the highest hopes for Will Ospreay in the beginning. I, I believe we thought he would do well, but I didn't expect him to be in the final night, at least. Yeah, I still don't think he'll make it to the finals. Um, mm-hmm. That actually, for the A-Block, I believe is taking place in a couple hours. We're recording this Friday morning. So, uh, you know, we shall see. But yeah, um, I'm still, I still have my money on Abushi here. You know, ending up in the finals of everything when everything's, you know, said and done. It makes the most sense. So, all right, let's look at the B block. Where are we at with the standings there? In the B block, we have three remaining competitors. We have Evil and Naito with 12 points and Sonata with 10. That's all about LIJ, huh? Yes. Or I guess a, a former LIJ uh, yes. <laughs> stablemate. Uh, huh. Interesting. Ah. Uh, well, Sonata definitely made the comeback that we thought he was going to. Is it enough, though? I think he's going to make the finals, man. I mean, at, at this rate, when, so Evil and Naito will have to lose both matches for Sonata to win? Yeah, but it's one of those like miracles that you know uh-huh. they'll definitely <laughs> play up big time. So, uh, yeah, I think Sonata's going to end up at least getting to the finals this year, You know, which will be a huge step for him. 
I mean, that's a big win for me, you know, after like weeks of hopelessness. <laughs> <laughs> so your heart is with Sonata is what you're trying to say? Yes. Okay, fine. Fair enough. Fair enough. It'd pretty much be your pick versus my pick in the finals. <laughs> did you did you pick Sonata at the beginning? Yeah, I picked Sonata. I'm going to listen back to the episodes. I don't think so. I picked Sonata. <laughs> I don't think so. I'm pretty sure it was Takahashi. No. What? <laughs> <laughs> or Yano. <laughs> I said I'd switch it to Yano uh-huh. based off of those early wins he was getting. Crazy. I know. That's right. Um <laughs> Yeah, now I will, we'll see what happens, man. It should be interesting. I, I still feel like it's probably, you know, Coda's year, but, you know, Sonata's at least making progress, so that's mm. huge, you know, and, and, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he wins the whole fucking thing. Who knows? I mean, it'd be crazy to see a back-to-back winner like Obushi, you know? Yeah. Well, that definitely falls in line with, like, you know, New Japan booking, you know, actual storytelling, if you will. They love to tell that, like, you know, slow burn story. And I feel like that's probably what we're getting here with, you know, Coda. Fuck it. I want I want Coda to lose and then have a crazy heel turn all next year. Just <laughs> where he's just a fucking maniac. Yes. Because <laughs> I do like that when he taps into, like, kind of like that psycho side of himself. Because uh-huh. we've seen that in, like, ma- you know, other matches against, like, Kenny. And I'm trying to think who else he was going against where he just, like, lost his fucking mind. But it's there. Mm. He has that in him. So <laughs> I just hope if Sonata ends up, you know, winning the whole thing, he once again finds that personality because, man, it's going to be a long Wrestle Kingdom. His personality <laughs> is all in the Paradise Lock, all right? Oh, God. It's I, all locked up. I hate the fucking Paradise Lock. So <laughs> that does not belong in a Wrestle Kingdom like fucking main event match. No, it's all it I'm going to say. <laughs> you know I'm agree. right. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> all right well you know what that's gonna do it you know tune in next week and we will talk the finals yes all right but before we head out make sure to head over to dramacityproductions.com where you can hear us and plenty of other great podcasts that's right and if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform make sure you subscribe rate and give us a five-star review yeah it definitely helps an independent podcast like us keep on going and you know what if you like any of the stories that we talked about this episode make sure you go ahead and follow us on facebook instagram twitter and see the full versions of these articles plus a whole lot more yeah you can follow us at amazing nerd show that's your nerd hub for all things pop culture and if you're looking to further support the show, go ahead and buy some merch over at Tee Public. They have shirts, they have sweatshirts, I think they have mugs, bumper stickers, the works, man. Absolutely. And you can also head over to ProWrestlingTees.com and find our merch there as well. Yeah, while you're at it, go ahead and pick up your favorite wrestler's t-shirt. All right, Christian, so what are we talking about next week? Well, Damon, we're going to be getting into the top horror video games of all time. All right, and we're also going to be reviewing Lovecraft Country. That's right, Damon. Well, my name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that's the Amazing Nerd Show. This is pure nonsense. Doesn't prove a thing. I thought you'd feel that way, Gary. You were the only one that could have got to that blood. We'll do you last. Get away from me! Retreating! Burn it!